This Tuesday will mark four funerals in ten days for me. I can tell you that it would be very easy to become discouraged, depressed. But what keeps those of us who are Christians motivated is the promise of God. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. It's not just the promise of God, but the fact that we can be the people of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul would say, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. There's the promise of God, and there are the people of God, and there's the place that God has prepared for his people. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The promise, the people, and the place. That place is called heaven. It's the place that you and I aspire to live throughout eternity. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 17 through 21 Paul takes our mind and focuses our attention on the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. How greatly do you value your own citizenship? Do you look at yourself and consider yourself truly blessed because of who you are and where you live? There are people from all over this world would love to be a citizen of the United States of America. It's considered by most a place of endless opportunity. People will move here from third world countries, start out in one of the large cities, maybe driving a taxi, and now they own a major business worth thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. Why is that true? Because... Our country offers these kinds of opportunities. Some people are willing to pay money to get here and then even more to become a citizen of our country. Folks, we are blessed to live in this country and to enjoy a citizenship here. I want you to listen to Luke's record of Acts 22, verses 27 and 28. Let me prepare you to to read this passage with me. Paul has brought money for the needy saints in Jerusalem. He's gone into the temple, and there's some there who know that he has been among the Gentiles, and they're making an accusation that he had brought a Gentile into the temple. 
the Roman authorities were in the fortress of Antonio looking down on top of that, and they see the riot starting to happen, and they do as they would normally do. They go down and they attempt to stop something from getting out of hand, and so they arrest Paul. And as they bring Paul back, Paul lets them know that he's Roman and notice the response. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. Paul said, But I was born a citizen. I was born a citizen. You look at those of us who are here this morning. Most of us were born citizens of the United States with all the privileges, with all the good things that are a part of that. Now let me take you to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Paul is going to assert and make really three points in this section. He's going to talk about a mindset. He's going to talk about the mindset that he has and the mindset of those who are not as mature. Then he will talk about the model, the example that one will follow. Will you follow his example or will you follow that of the enemies of the cross? And then when we get to what I would consider the meat of the lesson, the motivation. Why is it that you and I endure what we endure? What is it that keeps us motivated every day to keep pressing forward even though those we love, those we uh, have great concern for seem to fall every day? It's because our citizenship is in heaven. Let's begin with verses 15 and 16. Notice carefully what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. If you will, Paul is going to talk about the two kinds of mindsets. One is a mature mind. The other is otherwise, and that means immature. When you start thinking about the distinction between someone who is mature and someone who is immature, let me illustrate it to you this way. Maturity says, I think about things. I weigh things. I try to make a a rational decision based on what I know. The immature mind says, I'm going to do things on the basis of impulse. Here's a young man. He's got $1,000 in his pocket. He goes to a place where they sell things. The immature man says, Whoo, I got some money. I got to spend it. It's all by impulse. The mature man says, I know I want that, but I may have other bills. I need to think about, can I do this? Can I not do this? What will I be able, what other thing might come along? In other words, there's thinking, the, the thought processes involved. When you look at this section of Scripture, 
How's the world think? The world thinks like the prodigal son did. Give me that portion of the inheritance that falls to me. Let me go out and waste it. Paul is talking about a mindset. Which mindset does Paul have? He says, therefore, as many as are mature, or of the translation, perfect. What does he mean by being mature? What does he mean by being perfect? Back in chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Have any one of us reached to the level of maturity where we know it all and we have it all under control? Not me, and I'm assuming not you either. There's none of us can say, I've arrived, I know all the scripture I need to know. I've arrived now, I don't have to worry about sin anymore. I've conquered sin. I don't have to worry about anything. I can just do as I please. A person has to seek maturity, and that's what Paul's talking about to them. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, but in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Hebrews 5.14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There are people who are able to say, okay, is this right or is this wrong? If I don't know, what do I do? I go to the scriptures. That's where I find out what is right, what is wrong. David would say, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Paul says, if any of you think otherwise, the Lord will reveal this even to you. If you will, permit me now. Go back and use that illustration again about a person who has $1,000 in his pocket. They go into the business to buy something. How many of you can look back in your younger years and say, I was impulsive, I did what I wanted to do, and I paid for it later. I can raise my hand twice. A few more times, maybe. You learn that impulsiveness is not mature. You learn you have to think things through. Same thing is true spiritually speaking. Brother Winford Claiborne came by to visit one day and he was upset he had taught a Bible class the previous day this is on a Monday he come by on uh, and told me he said I was in a Bible class and he said one man spoke up and said Brother Claiborne I don't want to know as much as you know and he said why would a person say something like that why would a person say I don't want to know I, I just want to know this much of the Bible I don't want to know it all. I don't want to learn more. I just want to know just a little bit. I want to know just enough to get by. When you read Philippians chapter 3, you realize there are some people that that's all they want to know is just enough to get by. And that's the reason why you don't mature. It's because you say, okay, well, I know what it takes to become a Christian. I know what it takes to worship, but I don't have to read my Bible every day. I don't have to work 
dip hard for it. Whatever level you have attained, go on from there because there's still room for everybody to grow, spiritually speaking. And Paul would go on to say that we all must live by the same rule. And Galatians 6 and verse 16 says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now quickly let me move to the model. Let's look at what Paul says here in verses 17 through 19. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have often or told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now, there's just so much there. I'd love to follow every one of those little leads, but let me try to keep it focused. Paul, he said, you have me as an example. He said, you can use us as a pattern. You think about those two words. The example is the word which we get our English word mimic from. You know how you as parents will make faces at your little baby and little baby will make those same faces back. They mimic you. That's what he's talking about as an example. When we mimic, we try to do what he is doing. The word pattern is the one we get our English word type from and I realized when I was preparing this that nobody uses typewriters anymore. You older folks will get it. Younger folks, I don't know if you'll remember a typewriter. But the type is something that makes an identical representation. Paul said, look at us. Use us as a pattern. Use us as an example. But when you do that, you need to make sure you choose the right type of person as a model. You don't want to choose somebody as your role model that is not very good. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you ought to follow us. You see, the truth is, is that Paul says, I have to look at myself and make sure that I'm a model worthy of following. And in that sense, every one of us ought to realize there's probably a little mini-me walking around that's looking at us and seeing how we live and say, I want to be like them. Would you want your children to turn out just like you are? Who are you looking at? Who are you using as your model? Third John, verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God. He does not does evil is not seeing God. 
So Paul would say, in whose steps are you going to walk? Are you going to walk after the pattern or are you going to follow those others? Paul and those striving for heaven. I observed this past week, there's some folks who really do want to go to heaven. Everything in their life is focused around this, well, do I need to do this? I want to go to heaven. It involves the things about what you say to somebody else. It involves how you act in front of other people. And then I've seen some people whom Paul has described as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now Paul doesn't leave us to guess who these people are and how they act. Because he said whose end is destruction. Last Sunday morning, we discussed hell and the eternal conscious punishment that is there. That's where these people are headed. They're not planning on going to heaven. They've got their reservations already in torments. Whose God is their belly. You heard me earlier talk about people who were impulsive, who just whatever felt good, that's what they do. That's exactly the kind of people Paul is describing. Whatever feels good, they do it. Their glory is their shame. They're proud of the things that they do. You see people on television. You may see some of them in the local stores who obviously are practicing homosexuals. They're proud of their shame. They do what pleases them. These are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now listen to that last phrase. Who set their mind on earthly things. You see, Paul started out with the mindset that each has. you have a mature mind or do you have a worldly mind? Who are you going to model? Are you going to model the good or are you going to model the bad? That leads me to the main part. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which... We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let me talk about the word citizenship for just a minute. The word citizenship to the Philippians would have immediately perked up their ears. If you had a group of people who had illegally migrated into our country and you had them sitting in a group and you say, citizenship, immediately the mind is focused. It's a real important issue in the first century. Why? Why? Because to say that you're a Roman meant that you had a lot of rights. 
me give you a good illustration. When you go to Acts 16, Luke describes for us what happens with Paul and Silas. This woman has an evil spirit in her, and Paul and Silas cast that spirit out. The owners of that girl that would have been making money off of her divination had Paul and Silas thrown in prison, and they beat them while they were in prison. Of course, you know what happens. Earthquake happens. They're allowed to go free, but nobody leaves. You know about the conversion of the jailer in verse 30 and 31. But when you get to verse 37, they find out that Paul and Silas are Romans. And so they're like, okay, let's get these guys out of here quietly so none of us get in trouble. Here's the way Paul responds. He said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. Do they throw us out of prison and have thrown us into prison? Do they now come and put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. We're Romans. But you see, that's not all. Because as Romans, you had the right to appeal to Caesar if you felt you were being unjustly treated. And when he goes to Caesar, if you are right, those guys who unfairly punished you will be punished. If you're wrong, you yourself will be punished. Philippi enjoyed a special relationship. You see, most countries would have cities in them and they lived under the rule of those local folks. They also lived under the Roman rule. And you had to go to the local magistrates first unless this was a colony. Luke puts it very simply, Acts 16, 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. There's two words, a colony meant that they were under direct Roman rule. They didn't answer to the Macedonian authorities. They didn't answer to the local officials. They answered to Rome. That's the reason why many of the soldiers would settle there because they knew their rights would be protected. Paul's writing Philippi now. He said, our citizenship. Oh boy, that just conjures up all kinds of, of thoughts among those people. But then he didn't say our citizenship is in Rome. He said our citizenship is in heaven. Oh, that's that place that I mentioned earlier. That place is not here. That place, according to Jesus, is somewhere else. John 18, verse 36, Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate is asking him, are you a king? And Jesus responds, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Well, where's your kingdom from? My kingdom is a heavenly kingdom, not a worldly kingdom. Ephesians 2, 19, Therefore you are no longer 
strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When you become a Christian, your citizenship now is in heaven. That's where you belong. That's your home, if you will. While we're here, we are in a foreign land as strangers and pilgrims. Paul goes on to say that we eagerly wait. Every time I read those words, eagerly wait, I think about things that are really, really important to me. Events that are coming up that I'm looking forward to enjoying. When someone tells me, okay, you're going to get to make another trip to the Bible land. You know what I do? A month before, a week before, I get excited. If someone that you love is coming to see you, that anticipation builds. Listen to Hebrews 10, verse verse 28. So Christ also offered once to bear the sins of many, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. To those who eagerly wait for him. You think about the two different mindsets. One mindset says, hey, I don't know if I want the Lord to come now. I've got a lot of fun things I want to do here on this earth. My mind's on worldly things. The other says, come Lord Jesus. I'm eagerly awaiting your arrival. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. For we are saved, or were saved in this hope. The hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You know it's coming. You're patient, waiting. We'll only get to go home when Jesus arrives. When he returns at the great resurrection day. When Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he was trying to get them to see that the Lord's return was sure. Not only that it was sure, that it was something that was going to need to be anticipated because there's going to be a a change and then there's going to be a victory in it. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised, we will be raised incorruptible and We shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And so when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see... You see those bodies lowered into the tomb. And for some, 
That's the saddest day of their life. But for those of us who are Christians, we know that that body is going to come out of that thing. In John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Oh, yes. Heaven is what we're seeking for. Here's where we make some practical application for us. You can gain a heavenly citizenship. I think of Acts 22 when that Roman soldier and Paul are talking back and forth. The Roman soldier said, I had to pay a lot of money to get this citizenship. Paul said, I was born a citizen. Somebody says, I want to be a citizen of heaven. I want to go to heaven. How do I do that? How do I find my way to this place called heaven? It's just like someone comes from another country and they want to become a citizen of the United States of America. There are rules and there are regulations and there are conditions. But you know, it's not that difficult to become a citizen of heaven. God demands that you believe that Jesus Christ, His Son, is His Son. That He's the Christ. He demands that you repent of your sins. He commands that you confess His name before men. And that you be baptized for the remission of your sins. Listen as Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Once you get to be a citizen, the benefits are truly out of this world. Not of this world. You get to spend an eternity with God. And even using the word spend is a difficult term because when you spend something, it appears that there's a time in which it can all be spent. You live eternally with God. You'll be in a paradise with a new body, one no longer like this one, composed of flesh and blood, corruptible that grows old, but a new body. And there you enjoy an eternal life. Our citizenship is in heaven. If you are not a Christian, we beg you, we plead with you, there's joys to be enjoyed. There's promises to be fulfilled. We can trust God. We're going to sing the song, All Things Are Ready. If you're ready to obey the gospel, ready to come home, 
We invite you, encourage you to do so as we stand and sing.